Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. 
gave your life for mine Nailed to the cross you crucified All my sin and shame I was washed by your mercy You are the treasure I find My reason for living so
worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Jonah chapter 1. Let me help you out where Jonah is. It's just past Amos and Obadiah. Okay, in the Bible. Does that help you out? You're probably like, are those even real books in the Bible? Yes, they are. If you turn into the middle, um, I think it's, I don't know, it's one way. It's close to the middle. That's all, that's all I can do. Hopefully you got, maybe you got an electronic version and you can just grab that. But Amos, not Amos, Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. Today we're going to be looking at the story about when uh, they were in the boat when he was in the boat with the sailors. And this is, this is a story that I just kind of read through fast, this part of the story, to get to the other part, the good parts. Uh, but I want us to spend some time here because I think it's going to speak to us mightily. Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. There are some interesting things that were happening in this boat. And I hope we realize we're all in a boat. I hope we all realize we've got people in a boat with us. Jonah chapter one beginning of verse four. Would you, if you're able to stand, would you stand? If you're not able to stand, just position your heart to receive this, right? This is the word of God. This is like God speaking to us directly. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw me into it. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did the best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for, our, for your word. Lord, I pray that you would use it to challenge us, to use it to show us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what needs to change. Lord, I pray that we would wrestle with it. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and soften our hearts so that it sinks down deep into our very being, Lord, and guides us. Lord, let us not be a people that just hear the word. Let us be a people that follow your word. 
Lord, guide us. We want to hear from you. Holy Spirit, you have right of way. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Anybody not grow up in Sunday school or not hear the, the, the story of Jonah? Jonah, let me give you a little bit of a, uh, a quick rundown. Jonah was a Jewish man, all right? A prophet. A prophet was a messenger from God. God would call prophets, give them something to say, and then they would proclaim it to the people that they were called to. So God calls this man, Jonah, to go to the city of Nineveh, the greatest city in the world at this time, and warn them, warn them about this impending disaster. So you see, this city was filled with a bunch of wicked people, and it was coming up before God, and he says, hey, go warn them right? Our God is a God who sends warnings to us. God calls Jonah to do it. Jonah to do it. Jonah didn't want to do it. He didn't like these people. They weren't Jewish like him, right? They weren't his people. This was some other people. These were the enemies. He didn't like them. So why would he want them to to change their ways? He, He wanted God's judgment to fall on these people. So he ran away. He didn't go to it. He didn't do what the Lord called him to do. So he heads in this other direction, gets on the boat, tries to get as far away from God as possible. Silly, silly right? Trying to get away from God. We, we, we do that, though, don't we? God sends a storm to hunt him down, endangering the lives of the people that he's with. Jonah recognizes this, and he says, Hey, you want to be saved? Throw me into the sea. When Jonah, when Jonah is actually thrown into the sea, instead of drowning, God provides this great fish that swallows him up and protects him from drowning. And then he goes and delivers God's message to the people of Nineveh. And the people, much to his surprise, repent and turn. And now if you're like me, you think, let's go to chapter 2 to read about the rest of this, right? But we want to stay in chapter 1 and and uh, not miss this, all right? First thing we have to notice is the irony. There's a ton of irony here. Jonah doesn't care for the heathens, those sinners in Nineveh, right? They aren't Jews. They're, they're from the enemy. He didn't like them, so he didn't want to preach to them. He's fleeing from them. And what's he do? He finds himself surrounded by different heathens, different non-Jewish people, sailors. If you've ever heard the stories about sailors, I'm sure that's true, right? Sailors in a boat. The whole idea was to get away from pagans, and now he's surrounded by them. And what's he do? He offers to die for them, right? Do you see the irony? Hey, throw me over, overboard. And I hope you see just how amazing God is with what he teaches us. He is the master teacher through circumstances, right? He was teaching Jonah a lesson, and Jonah didn't even probably get it right then. He teaches me lessons, and oftentimes it's later on that I, I, I finally end up getting it. The foolishness of God is wiser than the greatest wisdom of mankind, right? God is so deep in the ways that he teaches us. We don't even have a clue what he's up to. Jonah is about to learn a lesson, though, about the unlimited power of God. He saw this huge empire in this incredible city of Nineveh and thought, there is no way if I preach to this city that they're going to repent, that they will change their ways. It's too big. It's too powerful. It's too far gone. It's too set in their ways, right? But we know nothing is impossible with God. That's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Our God is not the God of the improbable. Our God is the God of the impossible. 
He forgot about the power of God and what he was capable of. He forgot that God loves these people and cares for these people. He, he called them to go preach to these people. Hey, what you're doing is wrong. You're headed towards disaster. Turn around, right? That's what God does to us all too often. He, God desired that these people should be saved. Sometimes we see God and we just think he's the God who just wants to punish us. But he does everything he can to get our attention. And when that doesn't work, then sometimes there's some discipline, just like we do with our kids, right? But it's because he loves us. Jonah doesn't believe things can change deep down. He doesn't want them to change. And I thought while I was reading about that and thinking about that and praying about that is, do I have that same attitude, attitude towards people, to certain people? Are there people that God calls me to go to, but I think, man, they're too far gone. There's no way that they'll respond if I talk to them. Or do I think, I don't even like those people. Forget it, right? What about you? How do we look at the world around us? At society? At the community that we live in? Your neighbors? Some of you have interesting neighbors, right? Like Jonah? Are we cynical? Are we intimidated by it? Have you ever come to the point where you just think our culture is too far gone to, to be helped? Nothing I do can, can impact it. Have you ever thought that I really don't even want to go to help our culture or these people? I'm just going to worry about me and mine. I, I have thought that. I'm just going to bunker down. I'm just going to worry about me and mine. Uh, m- my family and maybe my church family, right? I'm just going to worry about us. Forget helping these other people, right? Because I tried that and it just doesn't seem to work. Ah, sometimes that's our mentality as, as people of churches. We'll just worry about me and mine. I'm not putting myself out there. I'm going to turn my, a blind eye to what's going on out there and let God salt, sort all that out. Are you like Jonah? Because I see Jonah in me. The other people in your boat, the people that you live with, the people that you work with, your neighbors, the people that you do life with, your community, right? They're counting on you. God has put you in their lives for a reason, to impact them. There is no mistake, the people that you're around. There's no mistake, the people that you work with. There's a reason that you're in their lives. And I want you, I want us, I want myself to have an impact on them. Just like Jonah with the sailors, with the Ninevites, you're here for them. I should say, if you belong to Christ, if Christ has saved you, if you call yourself a Christ follower, you're here for the people around you. Not just your family, not just your church family. You're here for the people that are living in darkness. And you've got the message. You've got the hope that you can share with them. Most of us, though, are pulling a Jonah. We're in the boat, but we're asleep. After all, it's not possible, or I really don't care, because I don't like them. You may feel like the minority in our culture today, like everybody is crazy around you, but you're a part of the kingdom of God the greatest kingdom ever, the kingdom that never ends. All other kingdoms come and go. America one day will be gone. 
but the kingdom of God will still be here today. And you are his ambassadors. And no kingdom can stand against that. You're here to present Christ to your boat. Who's in your boat? Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. Here's something that we need to understand, right? Every human being has a deep spiritual longing. It's how they were created. But in our natural state, it's distorted by fear. You get that? So every person is religious, but the religion that we all start with is a religion of fear. It's all we all start off with. We, we talked to this about a couple of weeks ago, and today I'm not talking about the good type of fear. I'm talking about the bad type of fear, right? Paul tells us in Romans 1 that God reveals himself to us. Nobody is without excuse. We're, we're all without excuse. You can't say nobody ever told me about God because God reveals himself directly to people, and you're responsible for that revelation, whatever that revelation in that degree is. He also tells us, though, that we were created with our deepest need being to worship. And each one of us decides who we worship, right? Everybody worships something. You can say you're an atheist. You worship something, though. We all have this overarching religious goal or purpose that gives everything else meaning in our life. We aren't like the animals. The animals can get up every day and simply do what's there. They just simply do what's there. We can't just do that, though. We have to feel like we know the meaning of life, the purpose of life. There's got to be something more. We can't just uh, eat, work, rest, and go through that cycle. Sometimes it feels like that's all we're doing, right, Karen? But we all know that there's something more. We all worship something. We have to be a part of something bigger. We were created in the image of God, and that's what separates us from the animals, right? The thing that gives our life meaning, though, is different for people. Why is it? that some people will just work themselves to death, right? Even when their spouse comes up to them and says, hey, you, you know, if you keep this up, I'm out of here. I, I'm just going to leave, you know? And, and, and why would they ignore that? Because we know they care about their spouse. And why would they ignore that and just keep on working, though? It's because it's what they worship. It's where they find their meaning. It's what gives them their life, their purpose for being here. So they'll, they'll work themselves to death. Man, they can't even relax, right? They can't even take a, a day off or time off because they feel like they're failing because work is everything to them. We all have something that's everything to us, that everything has to be God. It's got to be the priority of our life. We've, we've got we've to let everything spin around that. What is that for you, though? Because so many times there's a lot of Christians. Uh, there was a lot of times when God was not the priority. He was a, a small part of my life. But there were so many other things that I found meaning and purpose from besides God. And I'm going to tell you that, something about that. That's exhausting. That is exhausting when you're looking for meaning and purpose from things, maybe jobs, maybe from people, maybe from whatever you get your identity from. And when you find out that it's Jesus, oh my gosh, it's a weight lifted. It's so much better. And, and not only is it a weight lifted, but it's empowering. When you find out your purpose and what that is in Christ, it's empowering. It's good to work, we should work, but we can't find our ultimate purpose in work, our ultimate reason for living in work, or whatever that thing is in our lives. 
What do you worship? Would you wrestle with that this coming week? What do you worship? Some people worship image. Some people worship money. Some people worship other people. And everything revolves around those different things. It's, it's exhausting, though, when that's the case. Notice it says that every man cried out to his God. I imagine that they weren't all equally religious. But notice in this scary situation, right, they all got religious, right? People may say they aren't religious, but when faced with death, when faced with extreme circumstances, with, when faced with the mountains that they can't figure out a way around, that comes out because it's who we were created to be. It's in our DNA. It's in our being as human beings. Here's the thing, though. Either you found the one true God and you put your faith in him through Jesus Christ, right? Or you're following a religion of fear. It's one of those two things. These, sta- these sailors start out crying out to their gods in fear, right? They even shift to the one true God, Jonah's God. They even shift to him. But what happens? They cry out to him in fear as well. And that's what a lot of Christians do. That's their relationship with God, one of fear. Don't kill us because of what we're about to do. And isn't that what we think? God, don't strike us down. Lord, uh, we'll be good. We'll be better. Don't do that to us, right? These men are not seeking a God they trust. And unfortunately, that's most of us. They're not speaking to their heavenly Father right? Do you remember when Jesus was his disciples and he taught them to pray? He said, pray to your heavenly father. Do you know how radical a thought that was for them in that moment? There's no way they thought of God as a heavenly father. God was this being up here and you better do everything right or he's going to strike you down, right? And, And God said, no, he's your heavenly father. Right When you screw up, you don't need to run from him. You need to run to him. Right? And we all have to have that deep down inside. We can't live out of fear. That can't be our religion. We've got to have our minds blown like the disciples had. Most people approach gods or God or, or little gods out of fear. I heard a story of a chaplain who was working at 3 a.m. He got a phone call from the hospital, and, and they said, hey, we need you to come down here. Somebody really wants to talk to you about God. And so when he got there, though, the patient was very embarrassed. You see, the patient had gotten the wrong x-rays. The doctors had looked at the wrong x-rays. They had looked at a man that was terminally ill with cancer, and they told him, hey, you don't have much time left. So the guy said, man, I need, to, I need to talk to God. I need to talk to somebody about God. But then when he found out that they weren't his x-rays, he said, I'm sorry, I, I bothered you. I, I, I'm not a religious person here, and, and uh, I don't need to talk to you. That's how we are, though. This guy was ready to deal with God, but only if he had to. Why? Because he didn't trust him. He didn't trust God. Prayer of terror is not a sign of God's grace in somebody's heart. It's just a natural response people have when faced with in dealing with something terrifying. If you think about it, it's just a reflex thing. You ever bump your kneecap and your, your leg kicks out, Right? That, that's all that is. That's all that prayer is. When we're faced with something terrifying, it's just our, our leg coming out where we, where we cry out to God and we, we miss out on it, right? It can't be just a reflex. 
when these things happen. We can't just cry out in fear because what happens when they do that, right? They start to negotiate with God. We start to negotiate with God. Instead of trusting Him, we bargain with Him. Atheists, people who even go to church, right? If you just get me out of this, maybe I'll start going back to church, right? If you just get me out of this, you know, I will, I will serve you all the days of my life, right? I'll give you my life. People become religious when they're in trouble. I've, I've done that. So you make a commitment. You negotiate that with God, but you'd, you don't grow in that. There's no, resi- no real desire to know God. You're just trying to not get smited, right? You're just trying not to have God's punishment on you, but you don't grow in Christ. You don't realize that there's a God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. You don't realize there's a God who you can trust with every aspect of your life. You don't realize that there's a God who lived this life and knows everything that you're going through, and you can lean on him like a rock. You don't realize that he is your father. Maybe you had a crappy father, right? But that's who God is, and that's what's available but we don't trust him. We just fear him. I got to be good. I got to go to church, right? To be good. I wish we realized that we don't, you don't have to go to church to be good. I wish you realized the amazing benefit of having a family, though. A godly family that will be with you, that will reach out to you, that will help you, right? Where you can learn about the one true God who does love you. How do you know if you have a religion of fear or faith? It's easy to tell. What happens when you get out of trouble, right? What happens when you get out of trouble? Eh, then you don't need God anymore. I see this time and time and again as a pastor. Somebody will reach out, and they, they genuinely want to know God. They, they genuinely are, are, are scared, but they don't make the switch from just fear to faith. And so they live out of fear that God's going to strike me down or do bad things to me if I don't follow him. And God doesn't want that. That's the religion of the Pharisees. That's the religion of every other religion, right? God wants a relationship with you because he loves you and he cares about you. And I want us to get that, right? I want us to get that. When do you pray? When do you read the Bible, right? Anybody here says, uh, when I get in trouble, that's when I read, that's when I pray. I've been there. I'm still there sometimes, right? Why? Why don't I just do that normally? Why don't I just develop that relationship with him? Uh, man, I missed out so many, for far too many years living, being in this church and in other churches, just not getting it, and I hope we get it. Fear is the religion that these sailors have. This might be the religion that many people have in our boats, but we can tell them the good news. There's a God who loves them. They don't have to fear him. There's a God who wants to have a relationship, who wants to be a father to them. And if you figure that out, my friends, in the boat, God will wreck your life. God will turn your life upside down. You'll no no longer feel like you have to go to church or have to do all these things. You'll be like, I want to do these things. That's the difference between fear and trust and faith. And I hope we get that, right? Okay, notice this. The captain rebukes Jonah. Did you catch that? Rebukes, rebukes Jonah for what? For not using his faith. One of the most interesting verses, I think, in this passage, right? The heathen captain yells at the godly man about not using his faith. He says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. 
Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. This captain knows Jonah is religious, right? And he can't understand what he's doing down there asleep. Asleep. Absorbed with his own problems. Feeling sorry for himself. Oh, God wants me to go talk to these people I don't like. Right? He's going to go to sleep. Not even realizing what kind of situation that they were in. Sometimes we as Christians are so absorbed in ourselves, so absorbed in our own problems, so wrapped up in poor me that we go to sleep on the world around us. I got my own problems to deal with. I can't get involved in yours. Somebody's wronged me. The pastor wronged me. I'm out, right? Or the problem's too big. I've, I've said that. The problems are too big. There's nothing I can do, so I'm just going to go hide in my church. We can't be that way. We can't be Christians that spend all of our time sleeping in here and not getting involved in what's out there. Right? There's people trapped in slavery right now, being bought and sold. Millions, tens of millions. People bought and sold in slavery right now. Right now. There's school shootings. There's extreme corruption. Families are disintegrating. Inflation is high, right? It's getting harder to pay the bills. And the church turns to politics. Because our government must be the only thing big enough to handle these things. Are you kidding me? Is that what you're putting your hope and faith in? Is that what we want to do? I'm going to a funeral for another young man that OD'd. You can talk to your boat about politics, but I want to talk to them about Jesus. You can fight on Facebook about politics, but I want to talk to people about Jesus. Those problems are too big for me. They're too big for you, but you're a part of a church. You're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you'll bend your knee, he'll help you be a part of that solution. I guarantee it. You notice what happens when Jonah actually wakes up and deals with these people? He, we said this already. He, he offers to die for them, right? And, and we see what an incredible impact that has on them. They offer sacrifice to the Lord and make vows to him. They, they still don't get it. Right? They're still fearing God, but they start talking to God. They start to search for this God and, and realize that He's real. If the church ignores the problems around us, we should be rebuked. Oftentimes, churches are absorbed with fighting over things that really don't matter. Or we have parties inside trying to make this church focus on what we want the church to focus in on. And all the time, there's this huge storm going on outside that we're just asleep to. We're nowhere to be found. We're too wrapped up in our own problems to take notice. And I think the world is like, wake up. you got a God that you can call on. I think they want us to get involved. Maybe not some of them, but I think they do. 
You got a God, call on him. You got people in your boat wishing you would wake up and reach out to him. Sometimes as Christians, we forget that there's a mission and that in doing the mission, that's where we find our strength, right? Sometimes we want more faith, but it's in stepping out in faith that our faith grows, right? Sometimes we want to wait for all our problems to go, problems to go away and for us to feel strong enough before we're willing to go out. But it's in going out that we're empowered. That makes sense because if you've ever been through any kind of surgery, maybe like knee surgery or something like that, a knee replacement, what do they get those people doing right away? Physical therapy, right? Same day nowadays. That's crazy, right? They're hurting. They don't want to do physical therapy. They don't think they're ready to do physical therapy, but guess what? You're going to do physical therapy because you need to get on the road to getting healed. You need to get on the road of of working it out. You all know what happens if we sit around in those types of situations. We don't get any better, right? We don't want to get up. We don't want to do those things. It hurts. But if we want to grow, if we want to get better, that's what we're called to do. Church, we can't keep laying around in bed praying to get better. Got to get out and get working. You got to... In order to heal, you've got to grow. You have to grow beyond your physical capability. There's a time where you've got to get going and work through the pain. It's the same thing with your faith. Get out of bed. Get out of the church building. There's families being destroyed all around us. The reason Jonah didn't want to help these people was because he thought that he's better than them. And we know, though, that we're sinners saved by grace, right? That's what we just talked about last week, ransomed, ransomed. If you didn't watch that, go back and watch that, or if you missed that, please go back and watch that service. But Isaiah, Matthew, James, and right here you see whether a faith is active and good in the way that you treat the people around you. Those who are downtrodden, those who are dirty, those who are loveless, those who are outcasts, right? Some small gods, some faith system, religious systems say that you're required to go help hurting people and meet their needs. That's what Islam says. You must take care of the poor. But Christianity goes beyond that. It says you will take care of the poor. It's not something that you have to force yourself or do because if you don't, you're going to get in trouble. It's something that you want to do in your very being. It's because you see people differently than the world sees them. You see, when you get the, the, the gospel, when you really see the gospel in the right light, you, you'll see that there is a negligible difference between the person that's a war hero, decorated, serves his community in amazing ways, right, and the drug dealer you'll see that there's a negligible difference when they stand before God. Each one of them, right, is worshiping something. It might be glory. It might be money. But if you're not worshiping God, there's really no difference in that. Just one is socially acceptable and the other isn't. When you get that, right, when you get that there's no real difference between you and the drug lord, when you get that, right, uh, then you start seeing people differently. 
When you, when you get that there's only by the grace of God there's any difference, you start seeing people differently. You quit hating on people. You start loving on them. Man, Jesus only got mad with one group of people. He only yelled at one group of people. It was the people, it was the religious people who thought they were better than the other people. And what did he say to them? Man, the prostitutes and tax collectors are, are making it into heaven before you. To the religious people, to the one following all the rules. Mm. Not that it's good to be a, a prostitute or a tax collector, but these people were more open to the gospel than the people who thought they were good. They realized they needed to be saved. They realized they were desperate for God's grace. And when you get that, man, when you, when you look at people in your boat, you look at them differently. They're in need of it. The only difference is time between you and them because at one time you were just like them in need of God's grace. And you found it. And guess what? You can share that with them. You can see their lives completely changed around. That, that person that you hate can become a brother, can become a sister. Maybe even come to the place where you're willing to die for them, like our Lord was. Maybe die to yourself for them. That's when Christianity makes an impact. That's when Christianity impacts lives of the people in your boat. When we're willing to die, when we're willing to serve these people. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. There's two types of truth people think they have today. Vegetable truth and rap music truth. You have to realize which truth you have. Vegetable truth. If you find out vegetables are good for you, you find out vegetables are good for everyone, regardless of what people think. And so you tell people about vegetables. You tell people about vegetable truth. Because if they're truly good for you, that's all that matters, right? Rap music truth, though, is only good for some of us, right? And some of us could really care less. So you don't have to share it with anybody because it might not be good for them. The truth of God's word, though, used to be vegetable truth. Today, it's rap music truth. And our society says, don't share that. It's great that you are finding it. It's great you're a part of that, but you don't need to share that with other people. We got vegetable truth, though. It's good for everybody. We're to share it with everyone. When they say don't bring it out in the public, we bring it out. We share it. We let it order our lives. Because it is the truth. Jesus said he was the truth. Society's going to come and tell you it's not. But it is. Follow it. My friends, don't think you have rap music truth. You have the truth. The captain rebukes Jonah. How dare you keep your faith private? Get it out there. It may save us. Jonah does. And he will see that it leads to life for the people in his boat. If we go public... If we're willing to die to ourselves, what an amazing impact we can have on the people in our boats and beyond. That's how we should be. Are you telling me we should die for people around us, people that we don't like? Yeah. We die to our attitudes towards our people, right? We die to how we look at those people. We quit looking down at them. We're to die to getting revenge on people that we don't like. 
We're called to forgive. We're called to pray for our enemies. The gospel changes how we look at people and what we do. If we want to impact this boat that we're in, we must quit focusing in on ourselves and be public with our faith, public with the truth, and die to ourselves so that we can impact the people around us. I want to take you back to one final story, and then we're done. It's 380 years ago. The story of John Houston and a little boy. The, the boy was born on Christmas in a small village in England in 1642. His father had died three months earlier before that, before he was born. So he already started off with a tough life, right? He was born prematurely. That's not a huge issue today. It's, it's dealable and workable. But back then, it was. It left him weak and sick for years. His mother, as a widow, did not have means to provide for her son. And when the boy was about three, an old priest came in and proposed to this young mother, hey, marry me. Come live with me. His only condition, you can't bring the boy. For whatever reason, she ended up leaving her son to be raised by her parents, and she got married and moved in with that priest. She didn't see her son for many years. When you're young, you don't know a whole lot but you know when you're rejected, right? Later it says, when you read this person's, what he wrote about this time, he wrote that he would walk over to this neighboring village and he would look at this home and, and this mother that was now living with this priest, right? And he would sit there and just hate for hours. He would sit there and not only hate his mother and hate this man of God, but he would hate the God that this man served. Year after year, that hate spread. In school, he was an angry child. He would talk back to his teachers. He would not listen. He was mean to the other students. He was a big problem in a small school. Teachers didn't like him. That changed, though, when a teacher named John Houston moved into the village. History doesn't tell us much about this, this man, but he was a devout Christian for some reason, this man's eyes became fixed on this young boy. He just looked at this boy and thought, man, there's something in there, something beautiful, and I'm going to help bring it out. He started praying for him, loving him, listening to him, giving him extra time. And over time, that little boy's heart began to soften and open up. When he did... To the surprise of John, he realized that this boy had an amazing intellect. That became evident to the entire school. All of a sudden, this boy wasn't a, a problem anymore. He excelled in areas of math and physics. At the time when the boy graduated, John did everything that he could to make sure that this boy went to college, Trinity College in Cambridge. He even helped for pay for some of his schooling. Every seed that God planted in that young man grew and bloomed. And in a matter of years, he was the talk of the university. In a few more years, the talk of the city. And then the talk of the nation. That man's name was Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton. One of the greatest scientists in human history. I don't know if you know this, he was also a theologian. My friends, this John Houston would, I'm sure, have had an easier time tutoring other kids in his boat. It would have been easy to sleep on this young man. 
I'm sure this boy filled with hate was not easy to be around. But he showed him the love of God. And over time, that changed him. I know he sacrificed him because I told you he paid for his college, paid for a part of his college. My friends, don't sleep on the people in your boat. Even the difficult ones. Maybe especially the difficult ones that you don't like. Amen? Stand with me. Here's the call. Wake up. Wake up. There's people in your boat that you're there for. Find them. Reach out to them. Pray for them. Love on them. Sacrifice them. Don't worry if they don't like you. Don't worry if they wrong you. Let it go. Let God's grace overflow in that and reach out to them with the good news. Allow God to arrange that. Sacrifice for them. Sacrifice yourself. Pick up your cross, right? Whether they listen or or they don't, reach them with the good news. Tell them they don't have to be fearful of a God, that God isn't a God that just wants to strike them down. Tell them that there's a God who loved them, that died on a cross for them, and if they give their life to them, they can find a father that they can run to. A father that will turn their lives upside down. What a privilege that would be if we could do that to the people in our boat. You want to end school shootings? Let's reach our boat, right, in our community. What if every Christian, every Christ follower did that? Wake up. Amen? Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the call on our lives to reach our community. Father, I pray that we would do that. Not when we're ready, not when we feel like it, Lord, but right now. Lord, help us just to love on some people. Father, if we're thinking and looking at people like we shouldn't, like they're below us, Lord, humble us. Lord, bring people into our paths. Help them to see, help us to see them as you see them. Help them to reach out Help us to reach out to them with your love, with your grace that's been given to us. Father, if I pray, I pray if there's anybody in here who doesn't get that grace, I pray that they would right now, that they would know that there is a God who loves them. Love them when they were at their worst, not when they were at their best. You didn't say get cleaned up, get everything right. Lord, you died for them. You died for me when I was at my worst. Lord, I pray that they would grab onto that and live in response to that. Lord, we love you, and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.